This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Happy New Year, everybody. Sarah, I'm so happy to be back with you here. I love a new year. You know I love a new year. You know I love a fresh start. Well, we don't get to be totally fresh today because there is a lot to catch up on that occurred at Mm. the end of December. So we're going to do that. We really appreciate you all supporting our time off with our families and the time that we take to recharge. But we are back. We are rolling up our sleeves. We want to catch up on some of the big stories that unfolded during that time. So we're going to talk about what happened at the Buffalo-Cincinnati football game last night. We're going to talk about what's going on with Congress, about President Zelensky's visit to Congress. And then outside of politics, we're going to share the one thing that we watched or read that really met us where we were over the break. So stick around for that. Before we get started, we wanted to share that you can hear us speak next Thursday. Republic EN has invited us to speak at a free webinar entitled New Year's Resolution, Making Progress Amidst Division. That's going to be January 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern, and you can find the registration link in the show notes. We'll take a short break and we'll be back to talk about all of the news that we missed while we were off. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code 
Podcast 15. Sarah, there's so much political news that we missed in the end of December, but I don't know if I can get into all of that before processing with you something that happened in a football game. These are words I never thought I would say. Last mm-hmm. night, Chad and I had tickets to the bills Bengals game. Now, I will tell you that we share a set of season tickets with friends And this in no way represents my commitment to football, because if it is a little bit cold or a little bit rainy, Chad is probably taking someone besides me to the football game. And that was our (laughs) plan for last night because it was going to be a little bit of both, we thought. But we didn't feel good. And so he sold our tickets and we both stayed home. He turned on the game. I fell asleep. Jane came in the room and woke me up. And then I heard the words CPR on the field. And I said, Chad, what is going on? And I look at the TV and I see an ambulance in the middle of the field. Oh, my goodness. In the stadium. And so he backs the TV up and shows me what happens. And as everyone now knows, there was just a normal tackle. DeMar Hamlin tackles T. Higgins. It looks like a regular football play. And then he stands up from that. And then he immediately goes limp and just falls. And Mm. you could see instantly the urgency on the field that this was not, you know, a hamstring or a knee or anything like that, that this was incredibly serious. And so they they did. They performed CPR on the field. The ambulance comes. He leaves with the ambulance. They report that he's receiving oxygen. The ambulance hangs for a second before departing the stadium so that his mother can join him in the ambulance. His family had been there at the game. And they take him off to UC, which fortunately has an excellent reputation for being able to handle extremely urgent matters like this one. Yeah. Didn't I just hear they treated another football player recently? They did. Several pretty urgent medical incidents have happened in Cincinnati. And the city fortunately responds quite well to things like this. So everything just goes to a standstill in the stadium. And the players are devastated and horrified Mm. and just in all states of shock and grief. It's obvious. The commentators don't know what to do. It's the first time in my life I've heard ESPN commentators acting like, please don't throw it to me. I have no idea what to say. And Mm -hmm. they're supposed to resume the game in five minutes. And I looked at Chad and I said, absolutely not. Like a mom just needs to march down on the field and say, no one is playing football today. Everyone is going to go receive love and comfort and support, and that's all. And you could just sense that that recognition was occurring to everybody in slow motion. And so you see the Bengals coach walk over to the Bills coach, and they have a conversation. And I looked at Chad and I said, you know what? I trust these two. I feel like these two have good heads Mm. on their shoulders. I feel like these two understand that this game cannot just resume. And it didn't. They, They took the players to the locker rooms. And then ESPN reports that they're just waiting on a directive from the NFL itself that the game can be postponed. And it takes too long. However, what I really wanted to process with you, in addition to just saying how desperately I hope that this young man, this Mm 24-year-old man, recovers well, as we're recording, he's still in critical condition. In addition to saying that, which is the first and the most important thing, I just was really moved 
by seeing how much we have learned in a short period of time, I think, as a Mm -hmm. society, because inertia is such a powerful force. It is so hard to disrupt the sense that it's Monday night football. It's very late in the season. This is a really big game. And for people to, in, in 45 minutes or so, get to the right answer, which is, one, that the only thing that matters is this young man's health. And also, two, even if a doctor could call them up in a matter of an hour and say, actually, he's fine. He's going to be great. Fluke thing. We got it. He's okay. That his teammates cannot go back out and play football now. Like, I was just struck and comforted by the fact that they disrupted the status quo because it needed to be disrupted. And that's a great example and one I did not expect to come from professional football. My husband and I had a long conversation about this on our morning walk. And he was like, this is a big deal. Like, they would have just, you know, gone back to playing. Even the head injury that had already happened, Mm -hmm. him being pulled is a big deal. And, I, you know, I didn't give a lot of grace to the NFL in the news brief this morning because I don't like or care about football. But I recognize its importance as a cultural force, and I can recognize that there has been tremendous movement. To me, the undercurrent that I feel from people's reaction to this and from the coverage of it is the sense of, yes, we've made great progress, and is it ever going to be enough, right? Can we create enough protocols to protect people? Is there any situation, even if our response is great, where we want a 24-year-old to face death for a sport? And I think that that's really, really difficult. I acknowledge the difficulty of the conversation, even though it is not a difficult call for me. And I can acknowledge this because there's not a lot on the line for me. You know, I I can see that. That disruption of the status quo, though, made me think of the Richard Rohr email. We have a lot of Richard Rohr fans in the audience. And his theme this year is prophecy. And he was just talking about, like, we don't talk a lot about prophecy in the Christian faith, even though there's an enormous emphasis on it in the Bible. And he was like, that's because prophets don't tell the future. They disrupt the status quo. And that is always a big, heavy lift. I am willing to acknowledge that this was and will continue to be a big deal in the NFL as we see, like, there's huge risk. And we have to acknowledge that. And we have to build protocols and, and still keep asking, honestly, is that enough? Is that enough? Is it worth it? I'm trying in my own mind to separate the long-term football ethics questions from this incident because we don't know exactly what happened yet. I mean, for me, I'm I'm with you. The cost-benefit analysis on football doesn't work. Well, I want to ask you because you've been going to these games. Have you yeah. shifted any in your thinking? No. Uh, I always feel <laughs> deeply conflicted at the games. It is super fun to go to a football game. It is a spectacle. A professional football game is a spectacle. A college football game is a spectacle, right? Or any football game is a spectacle. It's fun to be there. There are some beautiful connections that people make with each other through sports that I don't know if adults Mm -hmm. will make in other ways in our country. I really don't. There's some ugliness that comes out, but maybe it's like a a safer way for some of that ugliness to come out than in other places, too. So I value sports. I struggle particularly with football because I just look at the long-term damage to people's bodies and minds and and think, how could this work? I also recognize that I'm not the best voice as a decision maker right. in that discussion. So I'm trying to kind of put that in one place and just kind of look at this incident and realize that even if football were not inherently dangerous, even if there is a way to to make this game much safer and more sustainable in the long term for players and for the public. 
there are going to be situations where something terrible happens in every context. And we are so bad, typically, at saying something terrible has happened and it affects more than just the person it happened to. Mm -hmm. And I was so glad to see this recognition that something terrible happened here. And yes, he is the very center of it and the focus and where all the care and prayers and love go. But also something terrible happened to all of those people who were on the field with him. I said to Chad, I'm so glad you're not at this game. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in the stands watching this unfold to be powerless to do anything other than witness it quietly. I thought it was very lovely to see one of the Bengals fans who just stayed in the stadium for a long time holding a sign that said prayers for him. And then a whole bunch of Bengals fans held a vigil outside the hospital. Like I was, I was, I think they responded the best way that they could respond, but what Mm -hmm. a hard thing. And so just to have that example, like if someone collapses at work, Maybe we don't just go back to our desks. You know, if something happens in a place, you are affected just by virtue of having been there. And for that disruption to be permitted in such a high dollar environment was -hmm. really compelling to me. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, it softened me maybe a little bit about Twitter because Mm. I think Part of what helped in that 45-minute or so evolution of they're going to go back to play, some of the commentators are like, how do they do that? How do they get their heads around it? And others were like, they don't, they can't. (laughs) I think some of what helped get to this decision was the fact that on Twitter, so many teams and athletes and high-status people, the, the blue check elite of Twitter, were saying... The show should not go on here. The game should not continue. And I think that momentum was really important. Now, you had garbage, of course, on Twitter because you have – I mean, we're just people, right? So, of course, Mm -hmm. there were, you know, Twitter celebrities who wanted to make this about vaccines and then a whole chorus of people saying you're the scum of the earth for talking about the vaccine and pushing your agenda, right? I mean, we do all the things that we do on the internet. But the clear momentum was in saying – The NFL, this is an easy call. Like, I get that it's hard. There are logistics, but they need to shut it down. And then they did. And, And I thought something really good happened online because of that. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box. Salon grade tools. Your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system.
just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour, Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. So we leave that conversation again with so many prayers for Hamlin and his family and for all the players and all of the people impacted here. And hopeful that what we take from it continues to be good and kind to each other in lots of environments where terrible things happen. And we're just going to make a hard turn to Congress because Congress was really busy right before Christmas. Sarah, what would your expectation been about the ability to get spending legislation done before Christmas? It came down to the wire as it does. And I wonder what you thought was going to happen. Oh, I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried. I knew they'd get it passed. This was a very productive Congress. They weren't going to go out without funding the government. <laughs> like, I thought, no, they'll get it done. And they did. I was not surprised. What gave me the most comfort in believing they would get it done was hearing so many Senate Republicans seemingly willing to say to reporters that they don't trust the new Republican-led House of Representatives to do anything productive wow. on spending. And that every incentive that Senate Republicans had was to get this done by the end of the year. So they did. So we got a giant omnibus spending bill. Giant's not a big enough word. (laughs) Lots of agreement by everyone that this is not the way we should do this. But it is how Uh it happened once again. $1.7 trillion. Trillion with a T. Yeah. And it included lots of stuff that wasn't necessarily spending. We have a ban on TikTok on executive branch agency phones, which is joining a growing trend in state governments where they're banning TikTok. 
on state employee phones. And I was seeing some local governments, our municipal governments, are taking up banning TikTok on employee phones. That's super interesting. We did get a reform to the Electoral Count Act, just laying it out very clearly that the VP role is ceremonial and, hallelujah, praise the Lord, raises the threshold to electoral votes, 20% of the members of each chamber. So, I mean, just get it done on your way out the door, guys. What a good job. We are going to talk about all of the January 6th-related developments next Tuesday because there is a lot coming out of that committee that we need some time to digest to talk about in real detail. But I think it is so important to connect the work of that committee to this passage of Electoral Count Act reform. If you are a person who said, like, what's going to come of this? What's the point? Well, some legislating came of it. And that's a really big deal and really important. Yes, I'm excited to have that conversation. But I think the fact that they did this deserves more than one mention. And then, of course, they just so much money. $772.5 $772.5 billion for domestic priorities, $858 billion for defense. We're going to talk about Ukraine in just a minute and Zelensky's visit to Congress. But money for disaster relief, money for capital security, money for the Violence Against Women Act. I mean, just money, 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 money. Before we talk about Ukraine, just a couple more domestic stories that we wanted to touch on. Congressional. Mm, yes. We are recording on Tuesday, January 3rd. As the new House of Representatives is coming into session, first for the purpose of electing a new speaker, one of the new members who is supposed to be sworn in today, Mm. assuming a speaker can be elected, is George Santos from New York. I just think we have to take a second with George Santos. I don't really even know what to say other than what is happening, but it does need to be said what is happening. Well, I mean, I think we know. George Santos is a compulsive liar. I think that's a fair, objective, pretty neutral conclusion at this point. He lied about everything. He lied about his family. He lied about his job. He lied about his personal life. He lied about his educational history. I mean, he lied about his wealth, lied about everything. I'm not even convinced his name's George at this point. I mean, he's a compulsive liar, obviously. He actually has gone by Anthony and a different last no, name at stop, different points. No, stop it's true. it. I, I can't stop. read enough about this. When I read that his Democratic opponent, Robert Zimmerman, called him the Anna Delvey candidate, I thought, that's it? That's it. And I just have read all of it. He has admitted that he embellished his resume. That's his phrase. He actually never graduated from college. He only introduced clients to some of these Wall Street firms. He didn't actually work for those firms. He said at one point that he was Jewish, and he later told us that he meant Jew-ish because of a maternal grandmother. I mean, it's just there are so many pieces. It looks like he has some criminal exposure in Brazil related Mm. to a 2008 incident. And as of this morning, Brazilian authorities have renewed their interest in pursuing that Well, they didn't know where he was. And they're like, oh, we found you. You're in Congress. Yay. We're going to go investigate you now. I thought this paragraph from the Washington Post really told the story. He said he is part black. He said he is the grandson of Holocaust survivors. He claimed he helped develop carbon capture technology. He claimed to have worked at companies that never employed him. He claimed to be a graduate of two universities only to admit that he has no college degree at all. He even said his parents' financial hardship forced him to leave the prestigious Horace Mann School in the Bronx months before he could graduate. But that claim and numerous others have either been shown to be false or lacking evidence by The Washington Post and other news organizations, even by the low standards for truth-telling in politics. The scope of Santos' falsehoods has been 
breathtaking. It has surprised Democrats who researched him and missed so many details, as well as Republicans who vouched for him. I had a conversation with Nicholas right as this broke. And I said, this is just a failure of media. Like, this story's great. It should have come out before the election. What the heck? Like, I know these small congressional races are not the bread and butter of coverage. But honestly, I thought between this and the really great story the New York Times did on polling and how media organizations, particularly conservative media organizations, follow polling because it feeds stories and not the nonpartisan polling that's more boring was just like all we needed. Like, okay, well, now we know what we should pay attention to in the next electoral cycle, which is are the candidates lying and what do the nonpartisan polls tell us, whether it's exciting and can draw clicks or not? Local media ran some of this before the election, but it didn't get picked up on television and by greater outlets like Ascending the Chain. And it's almost like until there's national attention on something, you can't even get your district focused in on it through local media channels. I heard Maggie Haberman talking about this on CNN, and she called it part of the death of local media and a result of that and said that we just don't treat congressional races as priority stories unless they are marquee races. Well, Mm -hmm. a district in New York that includes part of Long Island and Queens, that has been described by its outgoing representative as about 50-50. Why is that not a marquee race? Well, you know, I did opposition research when I worked for Hillary Clinton's 2006 presidential campaign. I was doing it on Democrats because we were in a primary. I can tell you anything you want to know about John Edwards' legislative record in North Carolina. And it's just so hard when you're doing that to see the forest through the trees. You know, they miss the Jeremiah Wright story because it's it's just hard to know. I mean, this is an easier one because he was just lying about everything. But there was clearly like a threshold that got people's attention. And, and to our previous conversation about the NFL, it does seem that there is a threshold where people will acknowledge there is a right and wrong here. And, you know, the, at first the coverage was his constituents don't care. Now it's like, no, actually they do. And they're like, you should resign. You lied to us about everything. So that's a little bit encouraging. But I think as far as, you know, the Republican Party doing the right thing, you know, Lord, with this leadership fight happening probably right now as we're recording, including hilariously, which the dispatch pointed out, George Santos himself being like, Kevin McCarthy's going to win, carve it in stone and cash it in. And everybody's like, first of all, that's a metaphor that doesn't make any sense. And second of all, who's going to believe you about anything ever? Moving forward, I mean, I can't imagine what's going to happen. I will be appalled if he finishes this term without resignation or being removed. But I think it does show a lot of weaknesses in the coverage. And even to what you were saying about the allocation of resources, that was the other conclusion from that polling article is like, not only did it redirect media coverage the way that we, you know, focused on the sexy, bad, incorrect polls, but it also redirected funds where people could have, you know, maybe Mandela Barnes would have won if Mm -hmm. people had given more funds. It was close, but everybody was like, these terrible, you know, pollsters were like, oh, Ron Johnson's up 10 points and, you know, Patty Murray's at risk. And so everything gets shifted around when it shouldn't have been. And I just think it's just one more example of like, we're not quite all the way on disrupting our electoral coverage in a way that reflects the weaknesses we can all see. And then there are just hard calls because in the opposition research about him, I mean, he provided some of it by saying, like, I went to the January 6th rally. I have 
written a check to law firms to help defend some of the January 6 rioters. So you think you've got the piece that will captivate the public's attention. And maybe you mm-hmm. ignore checking that he actually graduated from the place at the time he said. Yes. Those are just difficult decisions. And I don't know that I guess I don't want anybody associated with the Democrats campaign in this race to feel horrible because this is hard and surprising and terrible. Mm -hmm. So it's more like what lessons can we learn from it than what went wrong here? Because a ton of things went wrong here, including on the Republican side, that it was a little bit of an open secret that this guy was super sketchy. And you want the parties to come in and say, let's not have a super sketchy candidate. But the parties don't want to do that, especially as they're really trying to get Kevin McCarthy across the finish line in this speaker's race. So let's talk about Kevin for a second. Again, acknowledging we are recording about around noon on Tuesday, January 3rd. So things could have materially changed by the time you hear this. But as we're recording, the big story is Kevin still doesn't have the votes. He doesn't have the votes. He's given them everything they could possibly want, which makes his speakership basically powerless. I don't even know why he wants the job if five people can call a vote of no confidence at any time. You're going to be miserable. What are you doing? Here's what I don't understand. This is a person who has objectively lied to the American public and the press, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who refused to cooperate with the January 6th investigation in such a graceless way that it even hurt him politically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not only did it hurt our country, but it hurt him politically. This is a person who went down to Mar-a-Lago to suck back up to Trump the second it looked like he Ugh. might be on the outs with him, who has promised very significant committee responsibilities to Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has given away the farm in search of this position. And this is who the grown-ups in the Republican caucus are trying to push across the finish line. That's what I don't understand. How did the window move so significantly that Kevin McCarthy is like the reasonable consensus choice of the caucus? How did things move so dramatically that me and Matt Gates are on the same side? Where I'm like, that man's making some sense. What happened? Because he's right. How could you trust him? You can't trust him. He will do whatever it takes to stay in power to the detriment of the Republican Party, which I'm not exactly rooting for. It is so insane to me. I think that you're going to see probably Steve Scalise, and I hope it feels like a betrayal to Kevin McCarthy because I like to see people get what's coming to them, and I'm sure Liz Cheney and I are feeling the same way as far as him feeling a little bit of that betrayal. Although, again, I don't even know. I can't even comprehend what motivates him. I don't understand his complete and total lack of integrity, even (laughs) inside the Republican Party. So I can't fathom a scenario in which we don't have multiple ballots for the first time in 100 years. So it's going to be interesting to watch. My husband just texted me and was like, are you watching C-SPAN? I'm like, no, keep me updated. I just wonder if they can't get organized for the leadership race, how does anything transpire in an orderly fashion from here? Well, let me just say that I do not think orderly will be this Congress's word for the year. That's not the word. It's <laughs> not it. It's not like going to be it. Yeah, that's um, going to be it. But, you know, we need them to be effective, which was underscored in dramatic fashion mm-hmm. on December 21st when Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky spoke before a joint meeting of Congress. What did you think about this speech, Sarah? There's a really great write-up in the morning 
of the New York Times about how democracy's on the rise. You know, all those like democracies in decline. And <laughs> my favorite quote was uh, this one expert that was like, look, I'm always a skunk at the garden party. And even I'm willing to admit that, you know, particularly the West response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine is encouraging. It's really, really encouraging. And I thought it was one more brilliant move in a long list of brilliant strategic decisions that Zelensky has made to come in right as a new Congress is about to take power, right as they're making funding decisions and say, this matters. I think it's a brilliant move that they're going after Russians and striking on Russian soil. I mean, I know the history books will be written and it will not be the simple of a narrative, but it is hard to criticize this man because every movie makes it so strong. And this was just one more. This was just one more. Even at the beginning of the speech, when he said the applause were too much for him and said, but they are for the people of Ukraine, there is just something that emanates from him that is so populist in a healthy way that is really captivating. I read the transcript of his remarks the day after his speech, and then I actually watched it for the first time yesterday. And I was surprised that what grabbed me when I watched it was the same as what grabbed me when I read the transcript. And it was this section where he talked about how Ukraine has never asked for America to fight this war for them. Let's play a little bit of that. Ukraine never asked the American soldiers to fight on our land instead of us. I assure you that Ukrainian soldiers can perfectly operate American tanks and planes themselves. I felt like he almost articulated a new foreign policy doctrine or something, Sarah. Even though it's what we've been doing, it is what Biden has been doing in this approach, that we provide money, that we provide weapons, that we provide some training and support, but we don't put our soldiers there. And for Zelensky to package that up by saying, we can fly the planes, this is our struggle for independence. And also, you are doing more than charity by helping us with that. It is part of a global stability that you're invested in. I just thought it was it was really compelling. And I can get in my head about should that be our policy everywhere and think through scenarios where that doesn't work at all. But here it does seem to be the right path forward. And I thought he put it to the American public more effectively than I've heard any U.S. policymaker. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is a new era. This is showing us a new way to engage, and not just a new way to engage, a new, incredibly effective way to engage. And you know what? Strike that, not engage. To defend democracy. Like, not just engage. Engage is a little too neutral for me. To defend democracy, because that's what we are doing. That is what we have done with the invasion of Ukraine. That's what the people of Ukraine have done. They understand that they have the most on the line and that they are also not the only ones with something on the line. And it's like we have all woken up to that and we have found a way to support this fight in a way that has enormous benefits and not zero risk, but less risk than previous modes of engagement. I think that's incredibly encouraged. We don't go back to the old way. Like this is this is it. This is the new status quo. And I think that it's just been incredibly encouraging. And I thought his, like at the end of this first year to come here and to give the speech, it just, it was so good. That new approach, 
or at least that very contemporary framing of it showed up several times in the speeches. He talked about how victory and defeat happened first in people's minds. And he opened by Mm -hmm. saying, you know, as to the world, we have defeated Russia in people's minds and hearts. And then he talked about how the Russian people are going to have to defeat the Kremlin in their minds and hearts first. And I thought that was it made me think back to our conversation with Sean McFate about his book, The New Rules of War. We had him on probably several Mm -hmm. years ago now. And I still think about that book all the time and how he he really articulated that beautifully. I was also surprised when I watched the speech that there was some laughter in the room and mm. that you could feel some real warmth, particularly, I thought, between him and Speaker Pelosi. I think it meant a lot to him that she came to Ukraine at the height of the conflict. Yeah. And that was encouraging to see, too. I mean, this man is a professional and not just a professional politician. Let's all not forget <laughs> His and previous yet, experiences. These skills have translated in a way that I never, ever would have anticipated. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot more happened. We will process some of those happenings over the next couple of episodes. We really appreciate everyone's support for our break and our opportunity to catch up with each other here. And before we go, we're going to catch up on what we're thinking about outside of politics. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. 
Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Sarah, while we were off, I know that we both watched a lot, read a lot, participated in a lot of activities with friends and family. I wonder what single thing you want to bring to us today to talk about that really met you where you were through the holidays. I had a lovely break. And what's important to remember is that I had a white Christmas and my body could have been covered with boils. And I still would be here reporting to you that I had a lovely holiday break. But it was just filled with friends and family and a lot of love and a lot of gratitude and a lot of just soaking it up. So on the Thursday after Christmas, when I decided to watch the Kennedy Center Honors, it really met me where I was at. The honorees were my beloved George Clooney, Amy Grant, Tanya Leone, Gladys Knight, and you two. Okay. We started with Gladys Knight. And first I thought, I'm just going to watch the George Clooney part and watch the high women perform. That's the part I want to take in. But then I just was in it with them. And I'm like, you know what? This is where I'm at. This is the, let's just pour out love, affection, and gratitude on each other. Like, that's just the vibe. It's so beautiful. And so they did Gladys Knight. It was incredible. George Clooney's piece was particularly amazing because I have a friend who went to school in Oxford, Mississippi. This is a long story. I'm going to make short. She encounters George Clooney at a bar. At first, she insults him by asking her to get her a bottle of beer because she thought he was the bartender. Then she says, I'm from Kentucky. He turns his entire body to her. And they talk for four hours into four o'clock in the morning. And the best part about the Kennedy Centers is, like, that's the setup for his, like, segment is Julia Roberts coming out with this dress with his face all over it, which was hilarious, and saying, like, George is at peak George in a bar having a great conversation. And they, like, they've built this little bar on the stage. So, of course, I immediately text my friend. I'm like, oh, You're going to die. You're going to die when you see this. Like, oh, my gosh. So that part, his father gives just the most beautiful tribute to him. It just was incredible. It was funny. Matt Damon was there. It's funny. Then we get to Amy Grant. The high women sing. So apparently Natalie Hemby's mother has been the executive assistant to Amy Grant for 40 years. First of all, if you have an executive assistant for 40 years, that tells you really all you need to know about a person, right? Um, so they perform. It's beautiful. Then, then, BB and CeCe Winans come out. And it's like, I'm healed. They perform this medley. CeCe sings some of El Shaddai. They invite Brandy Carlisle and the High Women out afterwards. And Brandy is levitating. Her joy is so palpable to be out invited to sing in this. I mean, they have like a choir. It's incredible. I felt myself healed in this segment. And the other ones were great, too. Like, U2's was great. Like, it just was all lovely. And I thought, I'm going to watch the Kennedy Center Honors every year. 
this was a delight. Like, there was no one was winning anything. You know, like, they've already had this ceremony at the White House. It's just this beautiful tribute. Garth was there singing Gladys Knight. I'm just telling you, I was, I was healed. It met me where I was at. I was in this very place of, like, let's love on each other and have gratitude for life and what we can contribute. And it just was so awesome. Well, here's what met me where I am. I was a book about death. (laughs) (laughs) I am so thrilled that you had such a wonderful break. I will tell you that we had some lovely moments. And on the whole, it was not our year. It was not great this year. Someone was sick pretty much the whole time except for about three magical days. And it was stressful. And we have operating under all of this a profoundly difficult family situation that is just not my story to tell. I'm not trying to be purposefully vague here, Mm -hmm. but some stories are just not ours to tell, you know, and I think it would Mm -hmm. increase suffering for me to talk about it here. So so there's just a lot and it was stressful and I escaped into books for the most part. And one of those books was Under the Whispering Door by T.J. Klune which I read because I so loved House in the Cerulean Sea. So I knew mm. I wanted to read his his next book. I had no idea what it was about. I just checked it out because it was his. Love it. It begins with a 40-something-year-old high-powered corporate lawyer dropping dead in his office after being horrible to an assistant. I was in from the beginning And then it proceeds to this man observing his own funeral. Wow. And and it follows him through his afterlife experience. And what the book really tried to say was, number one, the afterlife is not this binary situation that we Mm, make it out to be in our – in a lot of, you know, various attempts to understand it. But two, that there is an opportunity – in death to find some peace that you lacked in your life. And there is an opportunity in death to experience some love that you pushed away during life. And it was just exactly what I needed to read over this particular break. And I thought so beautiful. It was not as enchanting as The House on the Cerulean Sea, but it was still beautifully written extremely imaginative. You know, you read it and you think, I wish I could build worlds like this in my head. Uh, So I appreciated the craft of it enormously. But more than that, it was just brilliantly optimistic for a book that's about death. Mm. And, And that was healing to me in its way. Well, that's so interesting because we watched a lot of A Christmas Carol adaptations. Mm. Like we just, we kind of accidentally watched a couple and then we're like, okay, well, we're just going to lean into this. (laughs) At one point, Nicholas was like, I don't want to watch another one. And Griffin was like, commit to the bit, dad. Like we're in it. (laughs) 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 But it was like reading books like that, I think, put you in such a mind space of looking back, especially as we come to an end of the year and, and starting a new year and thinking about what the year gave and what the year took. I also read an altar in the World by Barbara Brown Taylor. And it's just, it's definitely going to be one of my most favorite books of all time. It's so, so good. And it helped me put some words on how I felt about 2022, which was hard. I, I was like looking back at what we went through with diabetes and the overturn of Roe v. Wade and my dog got hit by a car. And I thought all these hard things happen. And yet I sit here 
just with nothing but affection for this year. Nothing but affection for this year. And I thought, why? (laughs) Why? But, you know, reading that book and even watching the Kennedy Center Honors, like, even having some hard moments over the break, just feeling like, oh, but this is it. Like, this is just... It even in death, right? You have this. You have this opportunity, which might be too optimistic of a word, but at least a moment to say, "All I can do is decide how I'm going to react to this. All I can do is decide what I'm going to take from this." And I think there's something really, really beautiful about that. Did you read the Maureen Dowd piece on Christmas Eve about why Dickens haunts us? It's about why the Christmas Carol has such staying power. I saw it, and I think I opened it, and then I never read it. <laughs> I thought it was really lovely and right on the point of what you just said. Basically, and maybe did Amy Grant ever sing that song that goes, because life, we believe in God because life is hard and might not get easier. Anyway, not that you have to What's believe in God. What's the side she did? She let's did. Let's just say she, she did, did sing it. At some point. It, it was at camp all the time, right? But that, to me, yeah. was kind of the lesson of 2022. I'll put it in the Dave Matthews term. Celebrate we will, because life is short but sweet for certain. Like, that's, to me, mm-hmm. what it is. When I was doing my wrap-up on 2022, I was realizing that the vast majority of my months were defined by someone's health in 2022. Mm, Wow. And that is probably not going to get easier. That is probably Mm -hmm. how it's going to be for some period of years, at least, and and maybe all of those in front of me. And you just have to find a way to be happy and to go on and to find a peace with that. And I, I would like to find my peace in this life and not hope to put it all on the death side of the equation. Absolutely. But it was really useful to me to know that that might be a possibility, too. Well, as we start a new year here at Pantsu Politics, I hope that's what we do and continue to do here with all of you. You're such a blessing. That's my year for 2023. And our audience is and continues to be a blessing in what we do here together. I feel better already, Beth, after two weeks of trying to sort through all this on my own. Me too. I always miss talking with you when we're not in conversation. So glad to be back. Glad to be back with all of you. We so appreciate you spending time with us. We hope that we honor that time and would love to hear what this conversation sparked for you. Please email us your thoughts at hello at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. We will be back with you on Friday with special guest Yair Rosenberg for a wonderful conversation about anti-Semitism and news coverage and taking a more holistic perspective of Judaism and Jewish culture. Until then, have the best week available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Pettins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Catherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.